I'm Savitra Wilson, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to my podcast, From Solid Ground to Resilient. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. Welcome back, y'all, to From Solid Ground to Resilient. And so much is going on this month of March, including today being my birthday, my actual birthday. So I'm super excited, you know, to make another year out here in this world doing what I do and had a great celebration with a few close friends of mine um, on Saturday. Uh, Today is my actual birthday, though, Um, and just was filled with so much love and light and just comfort and knowing I have so many people who just have my back and have my back from way back, you know, Most of my friends here in New Orleans have been vaccinated. I know that we're really fortunate. Um, I know a lot of my friends want to get vaccinated across the country in their cities, but uh, haven't had the opportunity to. So I definitely look forward to more of my friends in other places having uh, the same opportunity as we have here in New Orleans to have access to go out and get vaccinated, essentially, irregardless of your status, your background. Um, I'm guessing because... We were in a area or demographic that had such high numbers at the beginning of last year um, that we just got more vaccinations. I don't know what it is, but it's not that difficult uh, to get vaccinated here in New Orleans if you want to get vaccinated. So um, most of my friends have been vaccinated. And so we were able to uh, celebrate in a small gathering and for the first time, I actually felt a little bit freer, I feel, than normally having been locked down for a year and not wanting to move around. So, yeah, um, that was great. This week, I'm heavily focused on my book and, you know, work as usual. Um, my book, Resilient, is coming out in a few weeks on April 6th. It's now available for pre-order. Pre-orders matter for bestsellers, y'all. Um, I'm, you know, I would love to make a bestsellers list. I'm not gonna put <laughs> all my eggs in a basket, but I would love to make a bestsellers list. That's definitely on one of my bucket lists. If I'm being transparent, so if you support me, have read anything I've written or gained even an ounce of something from something I said, uh, I would definitely appreciate your support. If you're looking for birthday gifts to send my way, buy my book, buy my book for others, you know, support your girl. So now that my shameless plugging is done, last Monday was International Women's Day and I had the opportunity to speak on NASDAQ's trade talk segment about the origin story of Resilia and my upcoming book. Uh, The host asked me what I wanted people to take away. And I think most importantly, um, my book is a very honest recollection of my time building my companies and especially raising capital. Um, I share personal stories that at the time I thought would break me and hinder me from actually accomplishing the goals I had set out for myself and for the company as a whole. Um, But I also share a step-by-step how-to guide on how I raised each of my rounds of funding from my first $400,000 like two or three years ago to $8 million in my last finance round. Um, So it's truly a how-to guide as well. Uh, Also in my book, one of the chapters is called Coming From Where I'm From. You know, it's not easiest uh, when you don't live in cities that are in the center of tech and capital. Uh, Beyonce once said, and if my country ass can do it, they can do it too. And 
I resonated with that. Okay. Uh, I think you'll read my book and feel that anything is possible, no matter where you are today, no matter where you are from, no matter what your background. The chapter coming from where I'm from is so relevant to this episode because I have a close friend on Bima Williams, the founder and creator of Clama Stories. And so Clama Stories essentially is a podcast surrounded around telling the career stories of creators. Um, it's amazing what Bima has created. I mean, truly amazing. When I think about some of the most genius marketing and branding minds, he is one of the first people that comes to my mind. What's more powerful is that we are both from Louisiana. And in this episode, we really explore the idea of creating the world you imagine because you come from a world that never really exposed you to the possibilities. And so we didn't know our careers existed. I didn't know anything about tech. He didn't know anything about, you know, the fact that he loved shoes and he loved all these things around sports apparel. And there was opportunity for him to go into that world. Um, and when you don't know that there are boundaries, you don't really have anything boxing you in. So it's like whatever is supposed to be done, you don't know what's supposed to be done. So you make your own rules. And I think we both have in many ways made up our own rules and created the world that we imagined, you know, or that we made up in our heads. Um, my college friend, um, Bima, so he would go on to lead global strategy for the shoe brand uh, Sukuni Originals, not Sukoni. I know, we, I know, me too, me too. I used to say Sukoni. That is not how you pronounce it. It's Sukoni, and that's the uh, the shoe brand that we know and I know for years. And he took that unit from thirteen million dollars to over fifty million dollars. Um, you know, and he was like in his 20s doing this. Uh, he built their entire social media strategy from the ground up uh, before influencer marketing. And most of what we see today even had a name. So yeah, been doing this. He then went on to work at Adidas and he worked with celebrities and athletes and led global footwear product marketing for some familiar brands you may have heard of and shoes like Yeezys. And when you thought that wasn't enough, Nike made him an offer to come over, which he would take. Um, but his value was so high to Adidas that as a part of his non-compete clause with Adidas, they paid him one year to sit at home before going over to Nike. They pay him a year to just sit out the game, y'all. Like, that is the genius that this man is. Okay, I've shared enough. Let's welcome our next guest, my friend, my college classmate, Bima Williams. Bima, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. To from solid ground to resilient. I'm so excited just about this conversation because we have known each other for over a decade now. Over a decade now, which is just crazy <laughs> to think about. <laughs> and it's been amazing just watching your journey. I think I told you before this that, you know, our mutual friend, Jared, keeps me updated on the things that you have going on. And I know he doesn't even tell me half of it, like <laughs> a little bitty piece of it. And I'm just like always so inspired and just like cheering you on from afar. Well, likewise, likewise. I just want you to know that goes both ways for sure. <laughs> yes. And to this day, I always tell people that when people think about like who is just like amazing creator, someone that just does branding well. And I always think about you. Wow. 
Wow. I, to this day, I still use Run Louisiana in uh, my tags. Like, uh, uh, that's, uh, how much, like <laughs> that's how much is real that you just like embed whatever you're creating and brand into the heads of anyone that comes across it, like to this day. I, but I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. We both were Louisiana kids. Yeah, introduce the people to you. Yeah, to yourself. totally. Totally. So, uh, you know, Bima Williams, host and co-creator of Claim of Stories, which is a it's a career discovery podcast and platform, as we call it, that features leading and emerging BIPOC creatives. And honestly, what we leverage it to do is really tell kind of this career journey of how they were able to claim their dream careers. And the reason for that platform and why we've created it is because so many of us grow up in these areas where we we likely don't grow up with the network of folks that work in these environments of which you know could benefit our skill sets so we thought this is our way to work against systemic racism and try to open up all this incredible information from people that look like us that have made it to some of these aspirational places and so to speak on that just you know like from louisiana i'm originally from baton rouge (laughs) and uh i i i spent 26 years in Baton Rouge, and I I traveled a little bit. My mom uh, was great about trying to get me exposure to just different uh, cultures, different cities, what have you. But I knew at like a very young age that there were just two things that I always loved, and it was sneakers, which is probably the obvious one. And then the other one was kind of this marketing and storytelling mixed into one. And so I, I never was the best athlete. I'm not I'm not going to come on here and be like, yo, I was the next Tyrus. That wasn't me. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Tyrus. <laughs> Shout out to Tyrus. Uh, and I, I never. And then the other option, the other option really was, you know, growing up where we're at, there's a lot of uh plants, chemical plants. And so I saw so many of my cousins and aunts and uncles and my parents that ended up working at these chemical plants. And I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. (laughs) So it was, it was always, I always found myself kind of in this weird in between, if you will, and really spending a lot of my childhood leveraging my creativity and just curiosity to figure out what I was going to become. Yeah. You know, something that you said recently about um, just your journey that really resonated with me as a kid from Louisiana is that the only thing that you wish you could have changed would be that you wish you would have found your way earlier. And that really resonated with me. Like, what does that mean to you? Like you, it resonated with me. I'll tell you why, but I want to hear where did that come from? No, yeah, totally. And I want to, I want to hear your thought, but I never you know, I never give anyone any advice or say that I regret anything. I think where we are is where we're supposed to be. And that's just what it is. But what when I say something like that, it's more so like, I know how much I enjoy it now. I can only imagine what what it would have been like to be able to do that in my 20s where there was less at stake. Because the older we get, we get there. There's and some stuff may be imaginary, some stuff we make up and we put these pressures on ourselves. Like we got to get here by 35, 36, whatever stuff we make up. But when, when you're 20, 21, you don't have kind of this gaze over you as far as like, oh, you know, I got to do this to get 30 under 30 or, oh, I got to have kids or, oh, I got to get married or, you know, I got a mortgage. Likely you don't have a lot of that stuff yet. And when you don't have a lot of that stuff, you have kind of this pureness to be able to create with all of your energy and then to be able to create with the people around you. 
And a lot of times, this is why when we can see young people that are able to harness that that type of energy, they create incredible things. Like some things, you know, we love. Some things today we're like, oh my goodness, what happened with Facebook? But you know, I think of it like athletes. You think about an athlete that has been so focused on their craft, and a lot of these athletes can be the best in the world at the age of eighteen. Imagine if you and I knew that we were meant to be entrepreneurs and leaders and philanthropists at that age, I can only imagine what we'd be creating. We probably would have created something together. (laughs) It's so true. And that's how I think about it. When I um, just like read that, I just think about what I was and wasn't exposed to. And I think Mm -hmm. about if I had been exposed to tech earlier on, right? And, you know, coming from smaller communities, coming from cities that didn't have like a huge tech influence, it was like, it didn't, it didn't exist. It didn't exist. <laughs> I didn't even know about tech. <laughs> and I learned later and I was like, man, I wish I would have known about this. I would have done this so much earlier in my life. But here we are. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> and like you said, no regrets. Yeah, um, no regrets. And so you spent a good amount of time at Adidas. You since mm-hmm. transitioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you people out there, you know, this man was like the genius creating all these sneakers for like entertainers. Tell me a little bit about like your career path and that journey. I know you usually have other people claim a story. I'm (laughs) turning it around on you, actually. It is. I know. I'm like, I'm so not used to being on the other side where I'm like, oh, I got to do the talking. Um, (laughs) So, so yeah, so I, you know, I spent a lot of these years in Louisiana trying to, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And after college was was super interesting because it's like, this is after you've gotten all this debt, right? And you're trying to figure out, okay, what am I, what do I want to do? Like, I got to pay these these student loans. And I, I was like, tw- it was 2011. And I had decided to start this, the running blog that you alluded to, which is claim your journey. But the, the tagline was run Louisiana. And it was what what I loved about that time was, again, going back to an era where I didn't really have any responsibilities. There, the risk of as far as failure was so low. Like I wasn't going to like if I didn't do this, I still had a place I could go sleep on my mom's couch. You know what I'm saying? Like there was opportunity uh, that wasn't scary. So I did this and I didn't know what was going to happen. But essentially, it grew way faster than whatever I anticipated. And what I mean by that is I was just covering, we were doing kind of like community running stories and community through social media and digital media. So we we're using blogs and we we're using Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. What I didn't realize at this time was that the brands, these corporations had, hadn't started to use social media that way. I was just playing around, playing around, quote unquote. You were ahead of the game. You were ahead of the game. You were ahead ahead of the game right? You really were. We got to... I got to rework that language. Um, <laughs> so I had kind of, at that age, I'd kind of started to taper the the thought that I would actually get into the industry. Because as far as we knew, I, I at a certain point in college, I only knew past retail that Nike and some of these brands existed. I didn't realize, realize that you could go work at the headquarters at some of these places that would happen to be in Portland or happen to be in Boston, Massachusetts. But this blog, this this community that we were growing grew outside of Louisiana because it was the internet. And what started to happen was these brands started to find out about us, these brand marketers, which is the, the people that would engage as far as like championing the brand and what it meant to society and to the community. So 
people started reaching out. Like people from Saucony started reaching out. People from Brooks Running started reaching out. Adidas. And here I am like, oh my goodness, what's go- like, what is going on? Why are these people reaching out to me? And it wasn't until I believe it was late 2012, I went to this running event in Austin, Texas, and I got approached by the CMO at Sockety, and he asked me to come head up global social media there. Now, kid you not, I that's never happened. And again, we're from Louisiana. We are always taught that anything like that is like a gimmick, like don't right. entertain it. <laughs> That'll happen to us, right? It's that's- kind of like, it seems so, so far out. It does not have type opportunities. <laughs> no, and and I till this day, and I'm still, um, I still. His name's Chris Linder. He's a, a mentor of mine. He's the president of FootJoy now, which is a, a golf company on the East Coast. And till this day, I still tell this story. He came up to me, and I laughed him. I laughed him off the floor, and I went the other way. I just didn't think it was real. And at that time, I didn't know what a CMO was either. So I just was like, me and all of the etiquette just wasn't there. But. Long story short, I end up going work in the industry and I go to Saucony. Uh, I got into my quote unquote dream industry by the time I was 26, which is probably about six years later than a lot of the people who would be my peers had been in the industry with experience. But it was a place where I was able to cut my teeth and where I was able to grow and learn a ton. Like I didn't go there with this this idea that, oh, I should have been here sooner. I went there with excitement that I'd finally gotten there. And I was curious about what all I can learn to continue to grow as a a marketer and as a creative. Um, And the interesting thing, though, was also that I had no idea what these places looked like. You know what I mean? Like, you know what the marketing and things like that look like, but I didn't know what it meant to be an employee inside of a corporation. Behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. And that was the first time that I I had to walk into a place and realize that I'm I'm the only black dude here. That like there's 400 people and there's me. <laughs> How was that? I could imagine, particularly coming from Louisiana, like that was like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Because you know, it's like we're used to seeing us, we're used to seeing other people down down in Louisiana, especially, you know, in New Orleans area and LSU. Like we had a, a huge kind of diverse population. Right. For me, it was strange because not only is this my first opportunity to kind of show, really come and show what I can do, I also felt just really, I started to have that imposter syndrome thing. And I think you go through two things and it's either you're like, I made a mistake and I'm going to go home or you're going to say, I'm going to double down and work harder than everyone here. And that's, that's what I did. And it's a, it's always, uh, there's a clock when you go down that way. And what I mean by that, uh, and a lot of us millennials know, is we're the burnout generation, mm-hmm. which means we, for some odd reason, we do have you know some of our, our drawbacks, but our, our strongest skill sets are that we have more information than any generation. And we leverage that to build, we've built billion dollar corporations. That's what we've done as a generation. And for me, what that meant was, I, I I would go and I would grind. I would get there early. I would leave late. Um, so I was working hard, but I was also working smart. So I was going in to figure out how to bring in influencer marketing strategy into the company before that was a thing. We were growing social media at the time. I didn't have a budget for social media on Instagram. And so I was figuring this out. But literally in, in one year, we grew Instagram from 3,000 to 80,000 followers without a budget, like no ads, wow. none, of, none of the stuff we have today. 
And so this just, is before people even started creating positions to well, do just that, right? <laughs> you got a whole, you got a whole department now. You got a whole department, <laughs> agency, you know, like ad payments, right? All of the things that we have today that are just like, oh yeah, why, why wouldn't you just, you know, talk to the ad ad planner? I was like, what was that in 2013? <laughs> so it was, it was, it was weird, but it was also a time where. I think socketing was the environment where I grew the most as a professional because it was such a small company and that when you get to bigger corporations, you don't you can't just go and try different things. There's already people doing there and there's a lot of protocol and things that kind of say, hey, 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 stay in your lane, sir. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. But at Sockany, I was like I said, I did you know, global social media, influencer marketing, affiliate marketing. I did product creation. So I to your point, I was I was creating sneakers and I was also designing sneakers as well while I was there. And then I was leading our global collaboration. So I had the ability to essentially be an entrepreneur. And that's what I, as I went to Adidas to work on uh, Yeezy and bring in Donald Glover and then to Nike, I would always think back to Sockety and be like, what, what about it was so interesting to me? And I was like, it was that entrepreneurial feeling that I had. Yeah. Yeah, you basically created something that didn't exist, right? And that is the entrepreneurial mindset <laughs> we got to do, right? You're like, all right, right. <laughs> there's no blueprint. I got to create one. It's like, who? I got to go talk to somebody who, somebody got this piece, somebody's got this nugget. But that was, you know, that was the thing that just kept it interesting was the that part. And then I guess what connects back to what I love now is talking and speaking with people and understanding their journey and where they've come from. Absolutely. And so you decided to leave. Um, I'm I'm sure you've done all this. People were like knocking on your door like, um, <laughs> can I come back? <laughs> <laughs> like, OK, um, can we get you over here? <laughs> that, we need that type of energy over here. <laughs> So you eventually left, then you went on, I'm listening to Adidas, you were able to create there, um, and you just continued to like just climb your career. Yes. So I, I you know, the thing about me and coming from Louisiana, I honestly also had kind of this, um, I had this other thing on me where I was like, I feel like they treat us differently because we're from the South. And it wasn't a feeling. There was like cases where it's a thing. It's a thing, right? Like there's, you know, there'd be the subtle jabs of, you know, y'all are down south, y'all get everything late, or in the jabs of how we say certain words, or it, it doesn't help that there are certain things that happen uh, politically down south that would that would creep mm-hmm. up in some of these bubbles on the coast, and they'd be like, "You're from there." I was like, "Yes." From there, but not yeah. everybody thinks that way. Like that is a you know that's a mainstream narrative that's out there. There's a lot of people that I know and went to school with that are completely opposite. But so I would have this. So I always would feel like, well, I need to go harder. So they understand that just because we're from the South, that 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 doesn't mean anything. I can still keep up with you know you cats from New York, y'all from San Francisco. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Matter. We could we could still get down with you. And so when when I when I went to to Adi. I felt like that was a massive leap in the in my career from from Saucony because Saucony was about a three hundred million dollar business. When I went to Adi, it was a twelve billion dollar global business, and it had you know ten times the size of employees, distribution points, um, and then they were working with talent that I'd never worked with before. Now, sure, like we've been around uh, world class class athletes and things like that, but 
I had never worked somewhere where you could be at the pulse of culture, where Pharrell's there and Pusha T at the time's there. And then you have um, this force in 2016 that's Kanye West. And growing up in, in college, like I, I think there was an era where I felt like a lot of folks either just love Lil Wayne and that was the only thing we were listening to. And then there's also this this bubbling under it, which is this guy, Kanye West. And for some reason, I just I resonated so much. And so when the opportunity came, I thought, hey, this seems like this could be something like Jordan, which we we haven't seen anything in the sneaker industry since Jordan. And I thought, well, my next thing is to continue to grow. I want to grow on something that could potentially be that next big thing. Mm-hmm. And over the next two years, it would become that. And we, you know, we had the fastest growing sneaker business in the entire industry. We 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 did in, in two and a half years, we did 1.5 billion, which is it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. With the Yeezys, right? With the Yeezys. And you're talking, you're talking cash. So the difference, I mean, you know this better than anyone. You're talking about evaluations versus like the revenue coming in the door. And I'm like, no, no, this is this 1.5 billion in sales. We're talking annual things that are happening. And I just was able to learn so much. I'm, I'm, I, every day you're put in scenarios that you cannot predict. Like every day is going to be something. Yes. Uh, and so like the two things that I really kind of took away or probably three things from that experience, one was kind of this idea of collaboration and that when you're working on teams like that and you're working around high level talent, it, it has to come from a place of without ego, because we're not, you're not, your name's never going to be bigger than that person. Right. <laughs> like, right. You're not going to be bigger than that person. What what you're here to do is you're here to contribute your skill set for us to get to that overall goal of growing the business and putting out the best product possible. So I would, we would constantly have to collaborate with our designers or our developers who would work with the factory overseas and then working with factory and brand marketing partners to get all these things done. Uh, so, so that was great. But then also the one thing I, I did think about the time at Audi where things, there was some opportunity to go outside of the system. And that was the other thing I realized is that I didn't like going through the system. I always liked going around the system because the system's in place for things that they've been working on for 20 years. And there's nothing right. wrong with that. It keeps the lights on. It's great. But it's when a lot of bureaucracy. It's, it's a lot of bureaucracy. <laughs> when you're trying to do something new, Savitri, that's mm-hmm. when you have to go outside the system. And you can only go outside the system with a small amount of folks because everybody's not going to get it. You know, you're going to get people rolling their eyes and they're like, oh, you're just trying to like break the rules, you know, all these things. But if you want to get things done at a corporation and you want to get it done quickly and you want to impact the market, you got to get sign off from leadership. And you got to go outside the system and only a few people can know. <laughs> it's so true. If you want to get something done, <laughs> if you want to be innovative, yeah, you got to go around. You got to go around. You got, the back door. Yeah, because you end up in these conversations with a bunch of people and trying to get a bunch of sign-offs. And, you know, crowd you know, crowd design or decision making is not always the best. Like, yes, I do believe it's necessary for like big brand initiatives and campaigns. But when you're trying to break ground on something brand new, it's best to go with a few. It's always best to go with a it's few. True. <laughs> so it, this this thing's happening and it's it's going, you know, this is going really well towards the, the tail end of working on that. 
I knew I wanted to get more experience in entertainment and working with some of those talents. So uh, I worked with a friend to bring uh, Donald Glover, uh, Travis Gambito, into Adidas. And we did some great work with them that ended up at Coachella um, that year. And then uh, next thing I knew, I had this opportunity with Nike that was on the door. Now, keep in mind, like I told you, I think since I was nine, I'd wanted to work at this place some sort of form. And when we were in school, this was like, I think, I don't want to date this, but yeah, when we were in school about <laughs> 2000, 2004, back then, <laughs> back then uh, the sneaker conversation was different. This whole conversation about streetwear and how mainstream it is today, that wasn't a conversation that was when we were in school. And a lot of folks were wearing things yeah. like Jordans and a lot of Air Max, Air Max right? <laughs> Where, you know, my little crew, this very small crew, we we were wearing, I think you probably remember, we would always be wearing this stuff that people are like, what is that? And and that was us, but, but it was streetwear. It just wasn't yeah. the thing yet. And so at that age, I'm wearing all the stuff that they're telling me I get to work on at this job at Nike and Nike Entertainment. And they're like, you could, you're going to be working with Travis Scott. You're going to be working on Supreme, yada, yada, yada. And so I'm like, oh, this sounds fascinating. And it wasn't until I'm 33 that I finally get this role in Nike. He's still young. He said, it wasn't until I was 33. <laughs> it wasn't until I was 33. <laughs> <laughs> but it felt so long. Yes, you know? yes. You had been working and a creator for so long. And yeah, I get it. I get it. it felt so long. <laughs> and and but the I'm I'm leaving out some things because the under the while that's happening. There's this other thing, this interest starting to develop in my head that I would start to do in my spare time. This is what entrepreneurs, the spare time, that spare time is 6 a.m. And then it's after work. Right. right. So you got your nine to five and then you got your 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 five to nine. And so <laughs> essentially what was happening in like after 2016 is when um, the elections and all these things are happening and. We have a new president in office, and then there's a lot of stuff that's starting to happen in society, specifically in, in the sneaker and the corporate sector. It meant that a lot of what was happening in the office community was that a lot of Black and Brown employees felt that um, their careers were being stifled. And there was systemic racism in the industry, outside of the industry, where we weren't getting opportunities and we weren't seeing ourselves and we weren't seeing how we were changing the talent pipeline or any of these things. And I was starting to get curious about why is that? Because there, that is right. Like I don't see many people here in leadership roles that look like me. And um, I was super curious. And so I would start to play around with this idea with a word that's apparently pretty familiar to me, which is claim. And uh, I would start leveraging this thing called claima, which is short for claim a seat at the table. And so before I could go to Nike, though, I actually had a non-compete. And I'm not sure how many people know about these things, but basically, if you sign a non-compete, the company has the ability to implement it and say, for X amount of time, you can't go work for a competitor. But they're going to pay you. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice. Okay, pay you not to work. Okay, pay you not to work. Which I, Savitra, I never heard of this in my entire life. I was like, are you telling me something new? What are you like? Uh, what are you talking about? So for up to a year, what this meant was that they were going to pay me my full salary to not go to Nike. 
because of the department that I came from, because I was so close to all of the leading information that would come out from the brand. They didn't want you to spoil anything, right? Didn't want me to spoil anything. And so I had to sit out. And while I sat out is when I started to really think about what was happening and, and wanting to come up with solutions. And ultimately, it was on a trip home back to Louisiana where I really started to figure out what what I wanted to do. But I stopped into um, I stopped into a sneaker shop and I was talking to the manager that had been there that I'd known for a while. And I was sharing how, you know, I'd just done some work. I was in China and that, you know, I'm on this non-compete. But there were these two, like, these kids that were working the floor. One was like 18, one was 19. And you can always feel when people are looking at you and not say anything, but you can feel the presence. You always feel the eyeballs. (laughs) So they come up to me after the manager goes to the back and they say, hey, so... What are, you, what are you doing again? And I was like, yeah, no, like I work on sneakers and I did this or whatever. And I started to realize when I was saying this, they they were trying to figure out a way to separate it from themselves because they never heard anybody coming to shop saying stuff like that before. They probably heard a sales rep before, but not someone that looked like them and was talking about actually creating sneakers. So they, they asked me two things that I'll never forget. The first thing was, um, well, where are you from? Because you can't be from here. And I said, no, yeah, I'm from here. Mom lives right over there, like still to this day. And so then they tried to separate it again. They were like, well, you must have went to school out of state. And I was like, no, nah, I went to LSU. Right. right the, here. It was the first time they met someone that worked in an aspirational space close to sneakers that looked like them. And when I started to think about that, I thought about me at that age. And I said, no one ever came in and did what I just did. N- not a single person. Yeah, no exposure. No exposure, no no idea of what the opportunities could be. And I'm just talking about the one little niche that I was in. Imagine if they could hear stories from a wide spectrum of folks. And I went through like a thousand and one ideas and trying to figure out how we can get them that information at no cost. And ultimately, this idea of this podcast was where we landed because I would listen to them on my run. I would listen to them on my drive. And I was learning so much. And I never came across one that was doing kind of this this idea that that we were talking about. And so probably about two, about a month before I started at Nike, we launched this podcast and we start recording and people start tuning in. Yes. <laughs> people start tuning in. <laughs> number one career podcast. Yeah. So now now it's the the, the number one career podcast and you know what we do that that's so unique is that we we spend time telling the 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 full career story of these creatives that come on the show so we have this amazing woman named Melody Asani and you know Melody has been around for quite some time doing incredible work like she did the I don't know if you remember Erica Badu's album New America and she had like the ring uh, yeah right <laughs> so <laughs> this woman did the she did the rings for Erica oh Badu to wear on the cover, and now she's the creative director. She's a Parisian woman who's creative director. Yeah, she's creative <laughs> director of Foot Locker now. Uh, oh, Foot Locker. Wow. So we told her story about like her growing up in LA. Her her parents wanted her to go to law school. She was like, "I'm not interested in doing that," and she went to go into product design. She created women's footwear, and then she started creating jewelry. And then she would get a collaboration with Reebok. And then she'd later get a collaboration with Jordan Brand. 
And here she is like doing these incredible things. And so after release, we got so many messages from people just reaching out and saying, I had no idea. I'm so inspired. Like, that's what I want to do. And that's the point, right? Like, that's what they want to do. And it's interesting because I was going to ask you a question, like, what advice would you give someone who wants to pursue a career similar to yours? And to be honest, I would say you need to go listen to Claymore stories. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you're basically trying to give people the blueprint, like the path. I, of the- <laughs> hey, I'm trying to give you what, what Jay said. He tried to give you a million dollars game for, you know, $9.99. I'm trying exactly. to give it to you for the free. It's literally... I listen to these stories and I apply it to the brand, right? Because I think of what we do as a brand and a brand that focuses in on how can we provide different examples of creative career paths and also show what creativity looks like from uh, from us because we don't see so many of us doing things from that space. And so there is so much priceless information. To me, that's billion dollar information because all these people have created billion dollar companies and they're giving you information about things they've tried and done to build their businesses that we, we leverage, we leverage so much of this information. Uh, and I would definitely do that. But you know, the other thing I would say is, um, I would, I would figure out quickly what you don't like. And then I would figure out what you do like, and I would double down on what you do like. Um, and I, I have to give, you know, kudos to you because, I, I am inspired by your journey in that you are you are leading your own way. You know what I mean? You're not you're not getting drawn into a brand name and saying, oh, I got to go work for that brand. You got drawn into your purpose and you said, I'm going to work for my purpose. And if that leads me to this or that, that's what matters. And, and that's what I, I would love to encourage us and anyone listening to this is it, don't chase a brand. Don't don't do that. Figure out what you're passionate about. Figure out how you can make the world better. Figure out what you're good at and let that lead your, lead the way. Absolutely. And you can't be like this. Everything we're talking about, like just the journey in itself can be scary, mm-hmm. but you can't be so afraid where it holds you in place. Right. 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 That's it. It's, and it's a little bit natural. I, I get it. I get it to like have these 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 hesitations and this kind of fake fright. And that's all it is. It's because you don't necessarily know. And when you have that, what I would encourage is go talk to people because nothing that any of us are doing, there's a percentage of it, but in its essence, someone has been along a part of the road. They've been down the road to some degree. There's a lot of insight we can get from having mentors and advisors that could say, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't go down that path. Maybe you should try out that new app. You, you know, maybe maybe you need help. Maybe you shouldn't try to do all of this by yourself, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and not closing yourself off to people, right? And that's something that people always ask me, how do you have, I was like, I'm like a natural networker, mm. but I've never been afraid to just put myself out there and ask for advice or, you know, tell people how, what was going on in my life. Uh, the CEO of SoftBank tweeted out today and was like, one chance encounter can change your life. One meeting can change your life. It happened to me. Right. And I was like, that's real. (laughs) It's it's so real. And and, and literally to the point I I was, um, I was having, I was having a discussion with uh, a couple young people the other day and we were talking about LinkedIn. And I said, Hey, 
I'm going to tell you now, if you're not looking at LinkedIn, so many people are making moves off of LinkedIn DMs, LinkedIn DMs. I kid you not. I connected with I've been connecting with CMOs and co-founders on LinkedIn over the past year over COVID. And we'll have, you know, these Zoom chats. I know everybody's fatigued on it, but we will will have these conversations. And next thing you know, like, you know, that might be our next brand partner, but it doesn't happen it's not going to happen by you sitting still. (laughs) Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. So the last question I always ask everyone, um, and it kind of ties back in my resilient theme, um, is what does resiliency mean to you, whether for good or for bad, whatever? Yeah, I think resilience to me, um, it's, it's really about having a serious conversation with myself internally about what I'm, what I'm trying to accomplish and, and, and really having a North star so that when things get difficult, because they always get difficult, you never, you can never plan for any of the amount of obstacles that are going to come. You know, when we're thinking about, we're trying to launch this podcast, COVID hits and you're like, wait a minute, that was the thing I was putting so much energy into. Now, what am I going to do? resilience allows you to to think beyond that and figure out how are you going to still solve this and be committed to what you're trying to do. And so for me, that's when I, I think about resilience, I have to remind myself of like, why am I in it in the first place? And it's bigger than me. You know, the mission is to help BIPOC creatives claim their dream career, be able to do things that we haven't been able to do. And so regardless of what's going to be thrown my way, I'm going to figure out how you can navigate that. And I'm, I'm going to find people that can help me um, stay accountable to that and help pick me up when it might feel all too heavy, uh, it, which it, it, it will happen. And that's OK. What's important is to have that support system so that you can continue on. So that's what it means to me. Thank you. Thank you for that. So where can people find you? What do you Ooh. want people to go to? Yeah, so I I would say right now we just launched season two as as Savitri said we're, we're the the number one career podcast in the country. Uh, thank you so much, which is incredible. You can find it on Apple. Uh, we actually have a, a new vanity handle now, so it's Apple dot co uh, claim a stories C L A I M A stories, and uh, we have episodes every Tuesday, and then uh, we got a couple of different projects coming out this year as well. So. Definitely check us out. And if not, on Instagram at Claim of Stories. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Marketing king, creative extraordinaire, <laughs> keeper of the dopest career stories. <laughs> I appreciate it. We, you know, we got to do this in person in New Orleans yes. or, you know, on the East Coast. Where, Our East Coast. Might be. <laughs> We're going to make it happen. Yes. And thank you all for tuning in. Can't wait for you all to just meet Bima. If you haven't, if you don't know his story, now you do. Uh, yeah. So until next time, y'all until take care. thanks for listening to from solid ground to resilient with me your host savitra wilson if you like this show subscribe listen and review on apple Podcasts and spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts this helps us reach more people like yourselves risk takers entrepreneurs aspiring entrepreneurs and the likes 
Also, be sure to visit SavitraWilson.com and sign up for my newsletter. There you can download everything from my actual pricing sheets to pitch decks, capability statements, and more. All to help you get your entrepreneur wheels turning and your business growing. To learn more about my show and listen to all my podcast episodes, go to abfc.co backslash shows. Until next time, remember, even if no one sees it for you, you have to see it for yourself. Let your work be a testament to your grit, gratitude, passion, persistence, and most importantly, resiliency. Resiliency.